0: Education is extraordinarily important. I found out many years uh, ago that I had a learning disability. So in other words, for me to process information, I have to re-explain everything to myself, which is why I had difficulty in high school. But it turned out to be a wonderful gift because I'm a huge believer in learning. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Baloo.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an amazing guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is known as the disruptive marketer. He's one of the top thought leaders in the world when it comes to providing contrarian, exceptional sales and marketing advice. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Les Evans. Welcome to the show, Les.
0: Hey, Nikki, thank you so much for having me today. It's great to be here.
1: Les, man, it's a real honor to have you here, brother. Listen, you and I have known each other for quite some time, and uh, we reconnected after a long sojourn, as it were, and I'm (laughs) so thrilled that we've done so.
0: It's fantastic
1: to reconnect. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. It really is. Thank you, and God bless you for saying that. Let me tell you a little bit about my listener. My listener is a man or a woman who is a hero they are an entrepreneur. They're going after their dreams. They are fighting into the headwind of the naysayers, of the crazy economy, of of societal forces that are anti-entrepreneur. And despite all that, they move forward and they go after their dreams and they make the world a better place because of the vision they have to serve the world with their genius. And the reason they listen to this show is because they want to be inspired. They want to learn how they can apply your genius and your wisdom to what they do so they can be more successful. And they want to feel like they're part of a community and part of a movement. So that's why they listen to this show. But before they can open their hearts to you, man, they got to get to know you. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Les Evans?
0: Well, I try and keep, what's that old saying? You know, I'll tell you my life story if you have you got 60 seconds. <laughs> It's an interesting combination. I was born and raised in Canada, Western Canada, grew up there, eventually moved to eastern Canada. I live outside of Toronto now. Uh, but uh, you know, my business background is varied. I used to be a professional musician. Fast forward into you know, into my 40s, I built an investment company across Canada. I started in Canada and we were specializing in alternative investments. So things like foreign exchange trading, commodities trading, S&P, stuff like that, kind of exotic stuff, uh, started that in Canada and built a model whereby the average person could trade in these exotic instruments, because this is going back to 2002. Back then, you couldn't do that. If you went to like the Royal Bank or Bank of Montreal and you said you wanted to trade in this stuff, they'd look at you like you had three ears. You know, because you had to have millions of dollars. Otherwise, they wouldn't take you on as a client. And I I found that really frustrating. It was like, why can't the average person participate in these lucrative markets? So I created a business model, took it across Canada, built it into the United States, and uh, eventually built and sold that company. But I brought in the clients myself. I brought in over 1,200 clients, and I ended up working with some of the biggest firms in the world, American Airlines. Uh, HSBC, you know, Allianz, just huge, and uh, sold that business later on when it was about 50 years old. Took a break, and then eventually I got asked by a friend to become a business coach of sorts. And of course, I knew nothing about that at the time, but uh, just using my business experience, ended up becoming an international speaker's. Uh, so I've trained literally thousands of people now. In 24 countries and 78 cities, so I built that investment company up, sold it for several million dollars, and that was just an incredible journey. Learned a heck of a lot along the way, and I, I to build that company, I became a real uh, guerrilla marketer, as it were, and a real you know salesperson. Went against the grain. Like I read all those sales books, and I found in real life it's a different story. So if you want to talk to somebody who comes from a real life experience, that's I'm the guy.
1: You know what, brother? I met you when you were doing your uh, foreign exchange company. And in fact, you actually spoke at an event that I did called Live Your Dreams with the late, great Donna Shaman. Uh, And you blew everybody in the room away because you were the first person that I heard publicly talk about who the real richest families in the world were. Everybody... At the time, thought it was Bill Gates, and he was worth I don't know a hundred billion at the time, ninety billion, whatever the number was. And you said, no, 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 it ain't Bill Gates. He's a piker. And then everyone's like, what are you talking about? Bill Gates is <laughs> a piker. Come on, he's worth a lot of money. He said, no, no, no. He said the Rothschild family is worth three hundred trillion dollars, and everybody just about fell to the floor. Three hundred trillion dollars? What are you talking about? And and I remember that because. I'd heard this talked about in whispers among some of the smarter entrepreneurs I knew, folks who were real hustlers, but millionaires at the time, but, you know, it's certainly not billionaires or trillionaires. And they would be saying this. I'm going, is this real? Is this true? And then I saw you say it. You said it with such confidence in such a nonchalant way that I thought this, this – this has got to be true. Les, Les Evans said it, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, if it's on TV, it must be true. It right? must be true, <laughs> right on.
1: And um, you, you must have had an opportunity at that time to really get a sense of, you know, who the most successful players in the world of wealth and wealth generation in the world were, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, here's the interesting thing. Even though and this is the the amazing part what a lot of people don't know is I have no background in finance whatsoever. But what I what I learned playing as a, music, a professional musician years ago is if you want to build a great band, you should be the worst guy in the band. So you surround yourself with people who can fill out your weaknesses. I've I've always been a like I I can play guitar, I'm not a great guitar player. I'm a damn good drummer, pretty good singer, but I surrounded myself with people who could fill in the blanks. So long story short, the way I built that company is I knew what product I wanted to offer to the public. And I just had to find, I knew how to sell it. You know, I learned I learned how to sell a long time ago. I knew how to sell it, but what I had to do is find the, a trader who specialized in that kind of thing. And that the name for that trader is called a Commodity Trading Advisor. And so we made a deal and I said, listen, I know you can trade. Uh, I can bring you clients. Let's make a deal, which is what I did. And I'll tell you what, if you can get out there and make noise in the marketplace, especially financial, because we ended up trading, we're at the time that I left the company, we're trading roughly a hundred million dollars a day. That's, that's no joke. And uh, you attract a lot of attention. So I had like the vice president of UBS, fly down to Miami and request a meeting with me personally. Cause he's like, how the hell are you doing this? Like, what are you doing? He goes, we're UBS. We put the U before the BS. You know? <laughs> 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 I like that little joke. And I he's like, too. we can't that's even like, great. how do you do that? My account managers, you're bringing in like 40, 50, hundred cl- accounts at a time. Like, how do you do that? And I said, I'm not going to tell you, but that's how I got networked. And when you start to move in those circles, uh, what people think is a conspiracy theory, like the Rothschilds run the world, in in point of fact is not. It's just simple. It's just they've been a long-established banking family, and you can look that stuff up yourself. It's not it's not some kind of conspiracy. It's just fact, you know. But it, it's difficult to believe because the media will tell you that you know Bill Gates is the richest guy in the world, which is far from the truth.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it, it's it's brilliant what you just shared with us, and I think it's important for people who are interested in success to educate themselves, right? And I think that was one of the key points you were delivering when you did that talk for us back in the day.
0: Yep. Well, hey, listen. Uh, what you know, education is extraordinarily important. I found out many years uh, ago that I had a learning disability. So. In other words, for me to process information, I have to re-explain everything to myself, which is why I had difficulty in high school. But it turned out to be a wonderful gift because I'm a huge believer in learning. I think I saw you post something the other day by my late good friend, uh, Stefan Arnio, who talked about reading uh, 60 books a year. That's absolutely true. I, in fact, for myself, I'd say I, I would take in the information equivalent of probably double that personally. Um, well, that's because been, you're less Evans,
1: brother. You know what I mean? <laughs> you
0: teach people this stuff.
1: You're talking about the average. If you want to be a CEO and make CEO type income, you should be reading 60 books a year. Now, if you want to be the guy who teaches the CEOs, you better
0: do at least twice as much that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's, it's not only just learning it. Because book knowledge is great, but for myself, the key for my success was to take any kind of book knowledge or whether it was videos or audios. you know, take your pick on the on the media. But the real key was to apply it and test it in real life. So I, I you know I'd take a sales technique or a marketing technique or finance or whatever and I would say, I want to see if this really works. So everything, you know when I got into being, say a coach, for example, which is only in my 50s, did I start teaching and coaching people? I've never done that before because I felt I had to, there's a lot of people out there coaching in their twenties. I'm like, what are you coaching on? You haven't lived yet. (laughs) So, um,
1: that's probably the signature line of this, uh, episode today. What are you coaching on? You haven't lived yet. So many people should, should heed what you just said. Don't you think?
0: Well, Listen, for me as a as a – I know this word is overused, but as an integrity thing, which means wholeness and oneness, I wanted to be able to walk the talk. So you know, one of the agreements I made with myself, it, not with an organization, not with the clients, with myself, I said I, if I'm going to teach, people are putting their lives in my hands, so to speak, their business lives. And some sometimes their personal lives even you know, because coaching can get – pretty in depth, as you know. And so for me, I made the promise to myself that I will only teach what I know from firsthand experience. If I haven't done it, I'm not coaching on it. That's it. You know,
1: that's very brilliant. That's very brilliant. And inside the work of thought leadership, which we do, We we make a distinction between coaching and mentoring people. And Tony Robbins makes what I think is a brilliant distinction between coaching and mentoring. Mm. So here's how he does it. He says, look, a mentor is someone who's been there, done that, right? You want a mentor because they can dig into their experience and, and bring something out and say, hey, you know this issue you're facing? I faced it. This is how I dealt with it. This is how you should deal with it. Mm -hmm. But he said, a coach isn't necessarily someone who's been there, done that. A coach is somebody who has a skill set that allows them to look into your blind spot where you're not seeing and allows them to show that blind spot to you and shine a light on it and say, hey, this is why you're not getting further ahead. This is what we need to do. To get you out of your own way, so you can win. So he said, he coached Serena Williams, right? And his thing was, I'm I'm not a woman. I don't play tennis, right? <laughs> so you know, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> how am I coaching Serena Williams after you know she there was a there was a lull in her career at one point, right? Yes. And, um, the way he was able to coach Serena Williams is he saw how Serena was getting in her own way, and when he saw that, he was able to teach her that. And they were able to overcome that really quickly. And she started winning again. You know what I mean? And she's well, the most and- decorated female tennis star of all time. Oh, super.
0: Yeah, And you know what? And his distinction is correct. I've kind of walked both sides of that. And the truth is, yeah, I mean, let's, if we're, cause you know, living in Canada, right. Arguably, I think this is without argument. The greatest hockey ice hockey player in the world is Wayne Gretzky of all time. I mean, I think that's pretty much universally acknowledged, but what a lot of people don't know is he's usually universally acknowledged as the worst hockey coach in the NHL. (laughs) Yep. That too. So I kind of said to me, and I agree with that statement, by the way, I always thought the coaching side of things was that, I can give you the hack or the shortcut or the insight. And the mentoring side of me is the wisdom to know when to do it. You know, because you don't want to necessarily handle hand a kid a sharp knife or this the, the matches before they're ready for it.
1: No, you don't, because a lot of folks aren't ready for it. But I also think your point on someone who's 23 years old and has decided to become a coach is very valid. Does this mean that? all people who are 23 years old can't be coaches. Of course not. There's some of them who have some very specific life experience in a particular area that would make them an excellent coach. So for example, if someone's 23 years old and they're coaching you on how to be great on YouTube, I'd say they're the right person.
0: You know what I mean? Totally agree. (laughs) Totally Totally. agree. Yeah. I'm talking more about the, the, the life experience stuff, you know, somebody who's 23 trying to coach you on, you know, long-term relationships, Uh, you know, hasn't had a girlfriend for six months. That's a long-term when you're that age, right? That's insane. That kind of stuff. That's insane. Yeah. And listen, one of my, one of my best friends is I think just turned 25 guys, a world-class coach in a specific area of marketing. Brilliant. And I listen, I, I'm probably the most coachable guy around. I listen to young people all the time if they've got the talent and that expertise in an area that I fully acknowledge do not have. So I'm not saying young people do not have value. They absolutely have value. What I question is some of the disingenuous stuff that we see in that arena. But you know what? Every business has a few rotten apples, so. Well,
1: here's what I call those folks. I call them charlatan marketers. Yeah. So what's a charlatan marketer? Charlatan marketer is somebody who is really good at identifying your pain points inside your business or your personal life or your health or whatever it is that matters to you and they are brilliant brilliant at pushing those pain points and getting you to believe that you got to solve that and you got to solve it now and Charlton marketer is really good at marketing to those pain points what they're not good at is delivering a solution that works yes
0: couldn't agree more absolutely
1: yeah and one of my biggest peeves in the world is charlatan marketers so you know when our mutual friend raymond aaron introduced us back in the day and i said who's good who'd come who can come to our event and speak and i said look raymond just make sure there's none of these charlatan marketer types coming here right just bring us somebody (laughs) good and he says "No, no less is the real deal Bring in less, you're gonna be happy. I said, okay, great. And I saw that he was right. You were the real deal. But I've run into so many charlatan marketers. Some of the biggest names in industry are charlatan marketers.
0: Yeah, you hear that deep sigh. <laughs> I listen, I couldn't agree more. And you know what? What is troublesome, I guess is bothersome. I feel badly for the public. And this is, you know, it creates a listen, it creates a problem for all legitimate people when you have you know posers out there like you said the charlotte i call them i I call them especially in the coaching mentoring field i call them posers because it seems like all they do is spend all their time posing for pictures on instagram and facebook so and and the trouble is if they're really great at marketing but bad on delivery it really makes a mess for everyone else because it makes it more difficult to differentiate I mean, if you're the general public, how, how are you supposed to know the difference? So that presents a challenge to us as entrepreneurs and business people is like, how do we differentiate from that nonsense? Luckily, there are, there's are there been a lot of big changes uh, in marketing and sales, it, like breakthrough stuff uh, in the past few years that I'm on fire about personally that helps you cut through all that crap in the marketplace and and absolutely differentiates you in a way that your competitors cannot touch you. You're literally well, uh, impossible uh, to duplicate. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Uh,
1: and I want to I, I wanna go down the rabbit hole, the Charlton marketer for another minute or two before we do that. So cool. So here, here's, here's the thing about the Charlton marketer. Unfortunately, for a lot of, folks, it's impossible for them to differentiate between somebody who's for real and someone who's, who's not. Because the charlatan marketers are really good at getting people to give them testimonials because there's the odd person, like the 2% of the people who've worked with them who've done well, probably not because of what they got taught, but because they were the kind of person who were going to do well anyways, that go and say great things about them. And so people just go, okay, well, this guy's got to be good. It must be me. But the truth is, it's not you, it's them. Okay, and the reason it's them is because what they're teaching you doesn't work. It sucks. It was never effective to begin with. One of the things I can tell you inside of our our industry, a lot of people tell us once they've worked with us, they say, "Nikki, you guys, you guys are so good at what you do. Like you get great return on investment for people. Why aren't you bigger?" And you know, we do well, yeah. <laughs> but I want to be bigger. And one of the key, one of the key things that I have yet to fully crack the code on is how to be known for being steak. Because we are steak. We're not at all sizzle. We got to have some sizzle around our steak. So people are mm. going to see that sizzle and go, man, let me let me have some of that sizzly steak. And then they bite into it and they go, mm, that's good. Versus the charlatan marketers who are, oh, let me have some of that sizzly steak. And they bite into it and there's nothing there. There's just the sizzle and their mouth burns.
0: Well, you know. <laughs> so this me, is a good segue me... into you talking about what you wanted to talk about. Well, yeah, it is. And let me just let me let me say that for for all of you out there that are the best kept secret in the world, you know, you're not only the greatest at what you do, but you're the best kept secret in the world. I empathize with that. And, and I'll tell you why, because um, for whatever reason, I guess it's because what I was able I don't know, my people skills, perhaps or um, my past achievements in business. I was networked in very quickly and I started working with what would you call a lot of high touch clients. Now I've worked with I've worked with entrepreneurs of every shape and size and practically every business that you can imagine. You know, mom and pop shops, but I'm talking all the way up to major movie TV stars, rock stars. I've even coached two billionaires uh which people are like well, what's that like? I go well if you, they're human beings, they have you know, they have problems just like everybody else. One problem isn't having a billion dollars. but um the the thing that I found working with that type of high touch clientele was they don't want to let other people know that their great ideas are coming from somebody like me. You know, It's not that they're not selfish. They're very grateful. Don't get me wrong, but they tend not to give you testimonials. So people are like, like I've heard you're an amazing coach. Why aren't you more famous left less? And I said, it's it's not uh you know it's not who I know it's who knows me. A lot of big powerful people know who I am, and w- have worked with me. But they they're not going to go on to, to to you know a TV show or their radio show and say, "Hey, the reason I'm so successful is this is my coach and he's the guy who came up with all these ideas." <laughs> so there so is that. It, there is that. therein lies the rub right so I, I think that's what you're talking about so the question is how do we start to solve that problem
1: yeah i i think that's very important um there is definitely that so back when i was a fitness trainer uh you know i used to coach raymond aaron Raymond never had a problem letting people know I was his coach because I helped him get to the North Pole.
0: So he would
1: would tell people that all the time. Um, I uh, used to go speak to CEO groups. I had a brand called the CEO Health Coach. I had clients left and right. It was great. Okay. But when I decided to move on from that world into the world I'm in now – I still have lots of clients. I'm a people guy. I talk to people all the time. I'm always pitching, never bitching, to quote my great friend, Wayne Allen Root. And so I get lots of clients, but I got to tell you, I know I could have 200 times as many people working with us. We could grow into a massive company if we crack this code, because we have something that very few people have, and we actually care about people. But like you say, a lot of the folks I work with, a lot of the higher level folks I work with, they aren't exactly ready to let the world know that we work with them. So we got to find a way around that. So that's a nice segue into what you've discovered helps people. Yeah overcome this problem. So let's get into it, shall we?
0: All right. I love it. This, is, By the way, this has been, um, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying myself here today. This is a a spirited and lively thing. And uh, yeah, speaking of Wayne Allen Root, Wayne's a terrific guy. I've had the opportunity yeah, to friend. work with him several times. Have
1: you? Yeah, he's, he's a good a- guy. I'm thinking of, uh, we're actually talking about doing a couple of things together. His episode's coming out in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited about that.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I loved hanging out with him. We we work together really well and uh, see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. So <laughs> I, I can
1: totally see that. Yeah, I can totally see that.
0: Just like you and I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Birds of a feather. So
1: awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so show me how we're going to get Nikki Baloo so well known that he's drowning in dollars and customers in a good way. Well,
0: yeah, okay. So that's a great question because we're all facing the same thing. And let me just preface this. I wanna, I wanna, if your audience hasn't heard of this before, they may have, but it's still pretty much on, on the fringe. So I'm gonna introduce a, a concept to them that is I without hesitancy and without hyperbole, we'll see is 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 a complete and utter disruptive game changer in the world of sales and marketing. And it's a word called neuromarketing. And I'll explain what that is in just a second. But let's just back up a second and let's take a look at the marketplace right now. I mean, it, I don't have to tell you or your audience, especially if they're business people, what a bloody disaster, a chaotic environment we've been in going through right now. now some what businesses do you mean? I really- thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, some businesses, to be fair, have really, really thrived, but a lot of, you know, have really been thrown a major, major loop. As you know, a lot of businesses that we work with, you know, if we're helping consult and stuff with businesses, a lot of these businesses had to shut down or c- completely rethink your strategy. So, of course, what we're seeing is a major exodus of people trying to get online now in the digital space to either, you know, complement what they're doing, if not replace it, you know, totally do a one eighty on their business model. And of course, a lot of them don't know what to do online. It's a completely different environment. And so if the online space wasn't crowded enough, we have this, this mass exodus happening. And so what, the reason I get into neuromarketing is this is it, the reason this is such a a game changer is because it completely changes our approach to sales and marketing. Now, now here I'll just give you a quick background on this, because it is truly, truly fascinating. So I don't, I don't know if you knew this, and most business pro, pro, people don't probably realize. You can tell I'm so excited. My the velocity of my mouth is exceeding its ability to keep up right now. <laughs> I used to say that today I have a rented mouth because my normal mouth is at the dry cleaners. So <laughs> I'll try and slow it down a bit. But I, I can't hide my enthusiasm for this. So here's the interesting thing every year, roughly a trillion dollars is spent in the advertising and marketing space. And the amount of research that's thrown into this, I mean, the psychological research, the market testing, focus groups, ad splits, blah, 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 all that stuff, right, has been going on. But about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, there was a new science of marketing come out. And and here's how it transferred. You see, I I will say, tell you unequivocally right now, unless you're into neuromarketing and you understand this stuff, Everything you're doing is already obsolete, and it's been obsolete for several years. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, and so don't kill the messenger here. I am just telling you, and I'm going to explain why. I'm going to explain why, okay? So the whole key is to, like, how do we push the buying button in our customers' brains? That's the real question, right? That's the trillion-dollar question. Trillion dollars a year is spent by companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft, every big company in the world is like, how do we get people to buy our stuff? How do we press the buying button? And I can tell you, and you'll find out in just a second, that everything we've learned about marketing so far until the development of neuromarketing was all based on assumptions and presumptions. And I'm going to explain why. A few years ago, we have this technology. Of course, you've heard of EEGs and we have MRIs, which is magnetic resonance imaging. Here's an interesting thing because, as you know, marketing in the past has always been done by like taste tests, focus groups, uh, questionnaires, polls, phone surveys, split testing on ads, etc. All these different things, right? We test our marketing, we run ads. We check the conversions, blah, blah, blah. We do all the mathematics. But the challenge is, and this is what was found, is that when they started hooking people's brains up to an MRI, they could start to see what part of the brain was responding to a particular ad versus guessing or, and I'll give you a really famous example. I, I'm old enough to remember when they had the Pepsi taste ta- challenges. Oh, yeah, you remember that too. Pepsi taste test? Totally do, totally do. Okay. I took and, part in it, I think. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> everybody did. So as you know, like Coca-Cola and Pepsi have been going neck and neck for forever, basically. And so Pepsi wanted to, you know, as part of their marketing campaign, they st- set up these uh, blind taste tests with the Pepsi challenge and you'd go in there you know blindfolded and they'd give you one cup of coke and one cup of uh pepsi and people would taste test it and 9 out of 10 people chose pepsi because pepsi is actually sweeter okay it is more sugar to it and so coca cola got really freaked out about this they got really really worried and so they decided well the solution was we've got we've got a you know coca cola the formula is 100 years old i guess we got to get with the times we got to add more sugar and so they added more sugar to their product and they they literally cut out the old Coke, gone forever, and they replaced it with the, the new, new Coke. Coke. Right? I'm starting to sound like a drug dealer here. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And, and the new Coke was an absolute disaster because the, the, the people that bought the old Coke are like, what the hell did you do with my Coca-Cola? And I hate this, and it's sweet, and da-da-da. And so here's what happened. Here's what happened. When they were able to hook... Uh, people's, like, wire people's brains up with all the sensors and put them in an MRI, they would flash the Pepsi logo in front of a person, and then they'd switch the image and flash the image of Coca-Cola. When Coca-Cola was flashed, the image, like a a Coca-Cola can, the brain lit up in the reward center of the brain. And what they found was that There was a specific part of the brain that was the buying brain, and they had no clue before. And I'm going to tell you what it is right now. 95% of all buying decisions are made in the subconscious mind. I'm going to repeat that again. 95% of all buying decisions, sales decisions, are all made in the subconscious mind. Now, what do I mean by that? If you take a little simple brain model and you split it apart our brains have three main components we have the big the big thinking the logical part that's the front of your forehead the neocortex That's the brain that has, you know, that's the brain that can do the calculus. It does all the science. It makes all the logical decisions. It's the brain that needs all the technical details and information and specs and blah, 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 all the accounting and all that stuff. Then we have the second part of our brain, which is the mammalian brain, which is our thinking or rather our feeling emotional brain. So like your creative stuff, that's all coming from that side. Your emotional side, that's coming from that. And then in the middle of the brain, is what they sometimes call the reptilian brain it's it's called the amygdala if you want the formal scientific name for it it's the primitive brain that brain is like you know 500,000 years old or whatever it is and it goes on intuition and it's it's very much wired for survival so here's the interesting thing when we've been taught in sales if you've been taught traditional selling, it goes something like this. It's pretty much straight line selling, right? So you have to get the customer's attention and then you have to apply them with features and benefits and make sure they're emotionally engaged and then give them all the need to know facts and figures to, you know, all the logical stuff to justify the decision. And you got to close, 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 right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wrong, wrong, because if all you're doing is engaging the emotional brain and all you're doing is talking about f- features and benefits and giving facts and figures, each brain has its own language. So the, the, the thinking brain wants facts and figures, the emotional brain wants emotional engagement, and those things are necessary, but they only account for 5% of what triggers the sale. What the primitive brain wants is totally different. The primitive brain loves anything that has to do with survival. And the primitive brain instantly makes an assessment of you without thinking it's subconscious. Are you a friend or are you an enemy? Are you going to bring something to the table or are you gonna take something off of my table? And so each one of these brains speaks a different language. Now, if you really wanna throw a wrench into this stuff, Nikki, here's where it gets really miserable. And then you go, oh my God, how are we supposed to figure this stuff out? The, the three brains don't talk to each other. So here's what happens. If you, so the all buying is made, 95% of the buying decisions is made in the subconscious mind, okay? So if you ask somebody how they felt about their purchase, they're going to give you a bunch of feelings. But that's not why they bought. Because <laughs> the subconscious brain does not talk to the feeling brain. It just doesn't. And if you ask them what were the influencing factors of why they decided to buy, you're now asking the thinking brain to answer on behalf of the subconscious brain, and they don't talk to each other. So that's why all market research up until, until now is literally based on assumptions and presumptions. It's not. It's just guesswork, because it's not what the primitive brain wanted. So what they found is when they were able to hook people up to MRIs, now they could determine what the subconscious mind wants and it's all based on status and survival all of it so once you understand that code and i have a whole chart in fact i've got a whole uh system for teaching this now to practically anybody have i lost you so far is it so far so good it's
1: awesome man keep going it's keep, cool stuff, isn't it? Keep going. Now, Once you finish I, explaining it all, we're going to do a little case study on me. So let's go for it. That's how we're going to okay, get people cool. excited about this.
0: Okay. So let me – I'm going to tell you how powerful it is. Now, if, unless you're a real geek nerd like I am, the, <laughs> the I read, I got introduced to neuromarketing um, – well, I first sort of heard of it about seven years ago. It's because it's been around 15, 20 years roughly. And then I met a gentleman, good friend of mine now who's who's an authority on it. But he teaches that he teaches at, he's a professor at uh, in the um, University of Melbourne, actually. So he teaches this stuff, but it's very high level. It's very technical stuff. So if your companies like Apple and Google and stuff, we're talking, they spend millions on this stuff and it's very high tech and it's very sophisticated, and very, cons- frankly, not applicable to most entrepreneurs. But the other portion of neuromarketing is very applicable and very actionable for entrepreneurs. And what I had to do, and this is what I discovered kind of on my journey, there are specific firms who do this stuff, but they only work with the billion dollar companies. That's it. I I don't think I've found, I've maybe found one other person who like myself actually understands and how to apply, uh, understands it well enough and how to apply it in In simple, basic, actionable items—things that you can do as an entrepreneur, that you can apply right away—that's going to increase your sales. If that makes sense. So, so, and it took—I got to be honest with you—it's taken me almost two years to kind of crack the code and simplify this stuff because most of it's so high-tech and theoretical. I'm like, no, 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 don't give me theory. I can, and, and the beauty of it is, is, I field tested this stuff. In fact, I was using neural marketing techniques before I was even using, uh, knowing what I was doing, uh, several years ago, including, you know, speaking from the stage. So this is, like I said, an incredible game changer. And interestingly enough, I was on a clubhouse chat, you know, one of those rooms, because uh, clubhouse is a big deal now. Uh, the other day, and I've, there was a I've lady yet to be on it, by the way. But uh, yep. Yeah. I have mixed feelings, but so this was all kind of a marketing room and there was a gal on there, very highly educated. I could tell by her lexicon and her vocabulary that she was really formally trained in marketing. And the first thing she gets on there says, well, you know, the first thing we do is we analyze uh, the customer's needs and wants and and we focus on features as benefits. And I was like, lady, you are so behind the times already. You have no idea. Yeah, features and benefits are important, but... the neuro stuff cuts right to the chase. So, here's a sample. Give you an example. Have you ever had? I mean, for your audience, ask you this question. Yeah. Have you ever wondered why? And maybe this has ever happened. To you, have you ever wondered why you thought you had a client? They were ready to go. They're ready to sign up. You were certain, like ninety nine percent, they're going ahead, and then they say no. Yeah. Has that lots, ever of happened
1: lots of times. Lots of times.
0: Right. It's the fish that got away and you're scratching your head. And you're like, what? the? I don't get it. I answered all the objections, da, 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 da. So let me share one insight with you that is a profound insight. One of the things the primitive brain functions on is status. As I mentioned before, why is status important? Well, the higher your status in society, like the more rich and famous you are, you get st- you get all the goodies right <laughs> you get to eat at the best restaurants you have the big home you fly first class you're you're known you have legacy you're famous you make an impact the brain hates anything that's the opposite of that think about totally this totally hates it totally right? hates it yeah one of the greatest human desires we have is to be loved and acknowledged would you agree
1: I'll tell you it's it's top 2 <laughs> for sure
0: yeah yeah exactly i mean this is kind of a duh question right so In primitive societies, what do they do when they want to punish somebody? They don't kill them. They ostracize them to the point where they don't exist. You're made a non-person, which is the greatest psychological suffering a human being can have. So that's – I'm kind of giving you a bit of a clue here. The reason – you've heard about this. like They say most people have a terrible fear of public speaking. It's like the top two or three,
1: right? It's the worst. It's the top fear. It's even even greater than the fear of
0: death. Right. You know why? Because people are afraid of making a fool of themselves. The primitive brain – because when you make a fool of yourself, your status drops instantly. That's why. So what happens is when you're selling somebody something – Quite often, they're going to have – now, there's the usual objections, right? Too much, too many, too expensive. I don't have the time. I'm too fat, too thin, too skinny. I'm gay, not gay enough. Take take your picture, right? It's all these – you can deal with all that stuff. But here's the problem. If your client has a question in their mind and they're too embarrassed to bring that question up, too embarrassed to bring that concern up, because they don't wanna look like a dummy, they don't wanna make a fool of themselves. If if they have that in the back of their mind and you don't raise it and deal with it, you're gonna lose the sale because it's a subconscious hidden thing. So a lot of times people have limiting beliefs or false beliefs. Because at the end of the day, listen, to cut through in the marketplace, the reason people aren't buying from you is like aside from if they really don't have the money and they really can't get the money and they really don't want the product in the first place. Like there's some things I just don't want. I'm never going to buy because it's not my thing. Aside from all that stuff, if if a sale is possible to be made with that client, in other words, they're qualified, et cetera, et cetera. The only reason you're not selling is because they don't believe you. They don't either believe you they either don't trust you or they don't believe in themselves and they don't trust themselves. They might, you know, you might say, well, that'll work for you, but I don't think it's going to work for me. So we run into the subconscious mind is really good at holding presuppositions and false beliefs and even limiting beliefs, you know, and if you don't deal with that stuff and there's a method, the beauty of it is there's a methodology for dealing with that. And once you learn that methodology, You just blow past your competitors like they're standing still because they don't know this stuff. That's just one of the little things that neuromarketing allows you to do. It allows you to buy, so all of those excuses that you've ever heard, I wanna think about it, I gotta talk to my dog, you know, (laughs) it's
1: like. Seance with my dead ancestors from 3,000 years ago is gonna let me come up with an answer for you. Give me a week.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and I understand that frustration because years ago I was in direct sales, I never got into that, but I used to sell, believe it or not, many years ago, I used to sell pots and pans door to door. Really expensive cookware. And I, I swear that every customer had like an excuse book that was an Amazon bestseller. It's like every buyer, I used to say, you know, would you do me a favor? Just select your excuse for not buying ahead of time to, to save us trouble. Cause I didn't understand this principle. And if I would have known then what I did today, I was very good at selling, but this would, this would have upped my selling, you know, by 50% easily for sure. So it's, it's, There's more to it than that. I'm just kind of giving you one little tool, but just understanding how to deal with limiting or false beliefs will immediately increase your sales and set you apart immediately.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of like, I've had a great start to the year. We had a killer January and we had an excellent February. And yeah, it was really great. Thank you. And there's a couple of folks that really ought to have bought and they didn't buy. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? Now, there's one program I have for thought leaders called the East Circle Academy Thought Leader Immersion Workshop. Okay. And there's these two young men. They're out of Malta. They have a specific program for dancers. They teach dancers... About health and fitness and getting stronger and stuff like that. So they need me. They can use me. I can take them to the next level. They're doing so many things incorrectly that I can very quickly show them how to do it right and take advantage of it. And they wanted to think about it, and they really shouldn't have had to think about it. You know, I, 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 sh- I should have, <laughs> I should have seen that coming and set it up, and I didn't. Okay, so. Let's just use this as a bit of a case study just to show the folks how mm-hmm. we could have handled this differently. So these – I had a great conversation. I spoke to the issues that they said, but it was all very heady and a little bit feelingy. What mm-hmm. What ought to have I done differently in this case?
0: Okay. So we actually have to rewind. But first of all, if you hear somebody say, I want to think about it, that's the logical brain. Now, the logical brain, believe it or not, if you overwhelm somebody with too much information, uh, the primitive brain requires very specific things, which is a bit lengthy for me to get into right now. Uh, it, it requires specific things that all go to, are you a friend or a foe? And in fact, I have a, an amazing, it's actually a diagram that I created. It's, it's a It's a chart that shows the brain and it shows what the primitive brain wants and what it doesn't want. And when you look at that chart, I'll, I'll have to send you a copy. I, I'm, I, to my knowledge, I'm Please the only do. guy in the world who's created this thing. Uh, cause I've never seen anybody break the neural stuff down in a simple format where you can go, Oh, that's what I did wrong. So the, when you lever, if you get too much information from the logical side of things, the, the logical brain is the brain that will talk you out of the sale. <laughs> okay. and And the thing is, when people say, I want to think about it, that's the logical brain talking them out of the sale. It's because you haven't engaged the primitive brain. So there's two simple solutions to this. First of all, I'll just give you a kind of a hint. Number one, if you're an entrepreneur, this is an exercise you, you need to do. And this is what I, when I start to teach this, this is what I do. I've done this myself. Number one thing is you need to, first of all, number one, make a list of all the Every single possible reason somebody should buy your stuff. Every single, and I, you know, as many as you can, many as you can think of. I don't care how small or puny or in, insignificant you may think they are, you want to make that particular list. Okay. Okay. okay so, I get that. Yep. Yeah, okay. So that is number one. Now, number two is, make a list of every single possible negative objection you can possibly think of that they would that they would possibly think of now I, i'll tell you i did this um organically and i kind of stumbled on this organically here's how i did it when i used to go do a presentation okay i used to record every single sales presentation i made every single one of them. And you know because if you're like if you're like most business people you would probably have you either have a pitch or a presentation of some kind. You're probably if you're a professional am I right in saying this you're probably going to follow some kind of a formula or 100%. a script. Am I okay. Because that's what pros do, right? So When you're going through your presentation, you're probably you're presenting facts and figures and hopefully you're getting them emotionally engaged and hopefully you're presenting it in a logical order because you have to do that. That's all the basics. Right. But the thing is, what I did and don't ask me how I thought of this is just but it is part of neuromarketing. I would record my presentations and then I would listen to people raise objections. They'd say, yeah, Les, But what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? What about this? What about this? Et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, then I'd go into my clothes and I, you know, make whatever sales. But of course, I wasn't closing at the rate that I can today. My, you know, my conversion and closing percentages are far higher today because I know this technique. But I would go into and I'd play that speech back, okay, my talk or presentation, and I would – Pay attention. Now, what did I say? This is before I knew the neuro stuff even. What did I say or what didn't I say that triggered that particular objection? Okay. Now, that was part one. Part two was this. Because if you ask your clients, like you, if you go and ask these guys, well, hey, I'm just curious why you didn't buy, they're probably going to respond from the logical brain. And that's not going to give you the answer that you want because the primitive brain is wired to detect threats and people people are afraid of being sold, right? You know that adage, they wanna buy, but they're afraid of being sold. So one of the things I noticed, Nikki, is like if I was at a conference, for example, like the one I spoke at at yours, not everybody buys, but if I, if I was outside of the room and then people would come to talk to me and now they, there's, the sales pressure has been removed, they would talk and ask me all sorts of questions that they didn't want to raise in front of the room. And I kept my recorder going. So I would record those conversations and pretty soon those hidden objections, those limiting or false beliefs, like somebody might say, because I was in Forex, so like, um, you know, you, I thought, I thought foreign exchange was a scam. Only big banks can do that. Okay. So, but nobody would, you know, nobody want to accuse me of being a scammer in front of 500 people. They're not going to do that. But, But they have, it's a legitimate objection because they're going, I don't know if I trust this guy. I don't know if I believe this guy. Does that make sense? So that was one of those hidden subconscious things that they were thinking. Now, if I would have raised that objection from the stage, if I would have said, for example, and this is one of my favorite neuromarketing phrases, you may be thinking. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you may be thinking, or I will say to the client, now, you know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, wait a second. I thought only the big banks could do this stuff, right? So anybody who's promoting this stuff must be a scammer. Isn't that what you're thinking? And everybody would nod their heads. Because now I've brought out the 800-pound gorilla. I've brought out the elephant in the room. And traditional sales and marketing would go, well, don't, don't raise anything negative. You know, Don't raise negative stuff. It's not being negative. You If you don't address this stuff, it's always about belief and trust. So there's several things we can do to put into our presentations and address those things. But the first things you have to do is like I said, number one is put down every single reason someone would buy. And then number two, list every single thing you can think of why they didn't buy. And then in every presentation you're at, the pitch you're doing is to be self-aware and really pay attention to see where that gap is. Now, I can tell you, using my little system and formula here, that you can pretty much anticipate any of that stuff because people have cognitive biases. For example, here's a simple one: they might think, "Well, that'll work. That's great for you, Nikki. Yeah, I can see that'll work for you, but I can't see that working for me." Seeing it there's if you haven't solved that issue, which means I believe it'll work for you, but I don't believe it'll work for me that's a hidden subconscious thing. And so you have to create the belief that yes, it will work for them. And if you haven't, like you can prove all the live long day that, hey, it's working for me. Look at what I've done, it's working on our business. It's worked for this guy. But if you haven't created the belief in them that it'll work for them personally, you're gonna lose the sale and you're gonna hear, well, I need to think about it. Does that make sense?
1: Totally makes sense, totally makes sense. This is brilliant, brilliant stuff. So, Les, um, we're going to have to have you back on the show because there's a lot more we can delve into and chat about. But let's do this right now. How do people get a hold of you if they're interested in the concepts you're talking about? How do they engage with all this? Do you have a website? Do you have an email address? What's the best way?
0: Yeah, I have an email address. You can use my personal email if, if you'd like. It's very simple. It's just les is at iCloud.com. L-E-S-I-S. It's nice and neat and short. <laughs> I love I'm it. Also, yeah, I'm also on social media. Like you'll find me on – I'm on Facebook, big group on there. Uh, that's Les Evans Official, all one word. Same thing on Instagram, Les Evans Official. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, buried in there someplace. I don't, have a, I don't have a website. I haven't had a website in years, to be honest with you, because people just – Pretty much all the business I've gotten has been by referrals and through, through reputation and having conversations like this, you know, you really, if you're, there's another differentiating factor. If you're the real deal, like we're talking about earlier on this call that, and I hate to use that word authenticity, there's going to be the ring of truth. You're, this is the interesting thing about the primitive brain. The primitive brain actually makes the buying decision about 10 seconds before the person actually says yes verbally. Like it's always way ahead of the game. And if you truly know your stuff and you can apply these techniques, you're gonna see you're gonna see a dramatic difference. It's it's not you, Nikki, that's failing. It's just that we haven't had the understanding of what is the specific language that this primitive brain needs to make these decisions. And there's many components to that, but the beauty of it is you can implement just you don't have to implement all of them. You can implement one, two or three. But I will tell you from personal experience this is a reason it's important as we as we close out. If you noticed and I predicted this a year ago, I said when this whole covid thing hit, I said we're going to see an apocalypse of trust. And and that's truly come true because yeah, it is. Right, people don't know who to trust anymore because you know not. the, right, the doctors, the politicians, everything. Everybody they say one thing one day, and the next day it's something else. They change their minds, and everybody's confused as heck. So it's creating terrible amount of trust. It's like who do I trust? Well, there there are things you can do, specifically that build belief and trust in the primitive brain, because it's the primitive brain's job to decide subconsciously if they can trust you or not. So there are very specific things you can do to do that, particularly in a climate of fear, which I would say, I think everybody agree, that the world is very fearful right now. And you have to, fear is a product of the primitive brain. So there are specific things you can do, specific strategies, very simple to implement that assuage that fear and allow you to cut through and and because your competition doesn't know this stuff, you win. It's just that simple. It's brilliant.
1: You you know, um, I think you ought to get yourself a website. And I think listener, the fact of the matter is less runs a highly successful you know, high six-figure to seven-figure-a-year practice without a website and has been for years. That just tells you you don't need a darn website in order to make sales. So just remember that. A lot of folks here listening to this show need that message to be reinforced to them. So Les, so we got to do this truth quickly. So what are your top three pieces of advice, your expert action steps, as Raymond used to say, in like 15 words per uh, per a piece of advice or less
0: go 50 top three action steps is number one is to get very very clear on obviously who your target client is get very very clear and again that's a method I have a methodology for doing that too it's not that difficult but you have to understand specifically and I'll say this very simply Who is the client that, take your number one client, take a look who that is. Number one client is what is the best, most transformational result you can deliver for that client, what happened, how did you do it, et cetera, et cetera. number two is to get very, very clear on your messaging. Forget the 29 second pitch, forget the 2.9 second pitch, get clear on what you say. Listen, I'm passionate about using this new form of marketing to help you get more sales and stop losing sales. That's your pitch. If they're in, they're in, they're out, they're out. And the second thing, third thing I would suggest you do is to really start to dig in. You need to, you really got to get on board with this neuro stuff and get into it and get it, get it. The faster you're on top of this technology, you are going to be light years ahead of your competition. I. That's not me. That's the research. That's the science. Incredible, man. Incredible.
1: So, listener. Les Evans is the real deal. The way to get a hold of him is less is at, iCloud, at iCloud.com. I love it. Doesn't even have a website right now, although I'm going to twist his arm to get him to get one. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. I, uh, you know what? I, I'll tell you why. I've seen people do amazing things with just a single landing page. Nowadays, you can you can do amazing stuff with a single landing page, 100%. which I'm building right now. Good stuff. A single 100%. landing page that incorporates the neural stuff in there will convert better than most websites. I Look, I'm not against websites, but websites have to be done a very, very specific way. And luckily, I have a, a partner who's going to build me one specifically with all the neuro and et cetera, et cetera. So. Love it.
1: <laughs> so, so Les has got this. Get a hold of him. Check out his material. He's got a course that he's going to be coming out with soon. It's not ready yet, but as soon as it is, sign up for it. I'm signing up for it. And You ought to sign up for it. We're going to have you back, Les, to talk about that in more detail next time, but that's what you got to do. So, Secondly, listener, you've been thinking to yourself, listening to Les today is, how do I become the best version of myself the way Les has become the best version of of himself? Great question. Here's the answer. First thing you got to do is stop coming from your fear. Start coming from your dreams. If you go into the world and you let your fear dictate your actions, you're going to lose. You need to start letting your dreams dictate your actions. So that's step one. Step two, go to our website, ecircleacademy.com. Take advantage of some great free resources we have there. The first one is a book that I sell on Amazon, but that you can get for free. And this website is a Kindle version. It's called The Thought Leader's Journey, and it's got 14 steps that you can take to go from wherever you are in business to a a seven-figure-a-year practice, okay? I've done it for myself. I've done it for tons of other people. And I'm telling you, it can work for you. If you're ready for it, it can work for you. So it's free. Second thing that's also free is there's a free report there, six steps to growing a seven-figure expert practice. Take advantage of that too. Third thing, also free, there's a masterclass. It's an hour long, free, that'll show you step-by-step how to grow a seven-figure expert practice. All these are free. These are going to help you. I'm speaking to your primitive brain right now. You want free stuff that helps you make seven figures. So go take advantage of this, okay? Make sure you do it right away. Les Evans, man. Well done. Thank you so much for being on my show today. God bless your heart.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Nikki. Thank you. Thanks again.
1: Uh, you bet. You bet. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Les Evans, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Get his email address, is at icloud.com. Send him an email. Engage in discussion with him. And to take advantage of all these free resources to help you go from free to a million dollars a year, go to ecircleacademy.com and take advantage of all these resources. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to
0: your thought leader practice.